Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, It'll help enormously to have that passage open in front of you as we work our way through it. Uh, Please join me as we pray for God's help uh, to understand his word and to put it into practice. Father God, we ask that you would be present uh, with us tonight by your spirit, be at work within us. We ask that we would understand uh, these words, uh, that we would hear them, that we would pay attention to them. Uh, We pray that you would be at work, uh, that we might meditate on their meaning and put into practice uh, what you have said to us tonight. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What makes a rich person rich? When I was a teenager, I thought I had to earn $50,000 a year to be rich. Then when I started climbing the corporate ladder in my early 20s, I quickly began earning 50 grand. But something was wrong. I didn't feel rich. So I went back to the drawing board and discovered my error. I forgot to adjust for inflation. Maybe $75,000 a year was rich. Maybe $90,000 a year. Maybe six figures. Or maybe owning a bunch of stuff. Maybe that was rich. Whatever rich was, I knew that once I got there, I'd finally be happy. So as I made more money, I spent more money. All in the pursuit of the American dream. All in the pursuit of happiness. But the closer I got, the farther away happiness was. Now that's the intro of a TED talk by a guy named Richard Nicodemus. He's one half of the duo uh, that call themselves the Minimalists. Uh, Hands up if you've heard of the Minimalists. Uh, I count three people, excellent. Uh, Well, uh, the Minimalists, they're these two guys, they travel around the world telling people to get rid of their stuff. Uh, Each of them lives, uh, apparently, with less than 100 items total. Uh, So clothes, shoes, furniture, kitchen stuff, less than 100 items. Uh, Just stop and consider that for a moment and consider how much stuff you probably have in your bag. Uh, They live with less than 100 items. And they became minimalists because all the stuff in their lives uh, wasn't making them happy. Uh, Here's how Ryan puts it. He says, by incorporating minimalism into our lives, we've finally been able to find lasting happiness. And that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? We all want to be happy. Minimalists search for happiness, not through things, but through life itself. For these two guys, minimalism, cutting down, 
getting rid of your stuff. That is the key to happiness. Uh, all the advertising and consumer culture that we've been surrounded with all our life, it's a lie. More stuff doesn't bring happiness. Minimalism is the key. Now, I've tried it on a small scale. Uh, this summer, I've converted to a capsule wardrobe. Uh, if you uh, know what that means, it's basically just narrowed down to just essential items. So I've been trying to use only 20 items of clothing, not including underwear. So the question is, are they right? Uh, is minimalism the key to happiness? Uh, has my experience of this uh, small scale, just cutting down my clothes, has that brought me happiness? Or at least does it clear away the clutter so we can find happiness in life and experiences? Can we find happiness there? Uh, well, tonight we start our new series in the book of Psalms. It's this huge, ancient uh, book of songs, uh, songs of worship and lament, Songs of longing and praise. And Psalms starts with the offer of happiness. Sheer happiness. Blessing. The life of blessing right there. Uh, Psalms 1 and 2 kind of work together as an introduction to the whole book. And you can see there, they're about happiness. Look at Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the one who does X. And then uh, look at verse uh, Psalm 2. You've got it there in your Bibles, next one along. Uh, verse 12, the very end, it finishes by saying, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalms gives us this offer of a life of blessing. Blessing for everyone who does this. Uh, not through stuff, not through minimalism. Uh, this is Psalms' wisdom for how to live a life of abundant happiness, the good life. And uh, Psalm 1 uh, presents us with a choice and its consequence. A choice and its consequence. That's what we're going to be working our way through tonight. Uh, firstly, it presents the choice. Which way will you take? And the psalm starts with the negative, uh, where you won't find happiness. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. It's a question here of influence. Who is it that has the biggest influence on your life? That's, that's a serious question. Who would you say has the biggest influence on your life? There's a story about a woman who turned 104, and a reporter came to do one of those feel-good news stories about her and asked her, uh, what's the best thing about being 104? And she said, no peer pressure. <laughs> See, we, we live in a world full of influence. Uh, our friends, our parents, uh, our church, TV, music, celebrities, our boss, uh, all of these pressures on us uh, to take a particular path. Uh, if you were at Ode, you would have walked around and seen uh, hundreds of stalls all seeking to win you to their path. And someone says we have a choice about who we'll be influenced by. Whose path will we take? 
Because it's possible to choose a path uh, that heads away from the Lord, to follow the way of sinners, mockers, those who scoff at the thought of God, or live in God's way. And someone says, you won't find happiness there. You won't find the good life there. And did you notice there's a progression there from walking beside them, uh, then stopping to participate with them in, in that way, and then to, to sitting and establishing your, your life with uh, these people who have hostility towards God. And I think that's true, isn't it? The, uh, the life of uh, opposition to God, of wickedness, it really presents itself in its final form. Uh, there's a gradual influence. Uh, you sign up to one of those clubs on O'Day uh, whose culture is completely uh, against what pleases God. You sign up because your friends are doing it. Uh, you walk beside them. You go along to their events and you start getting involved and you stop and participate with them. And eventually you're deeply embedded and their life is your life and you're sitting and establishing your life with them. Instead, someone urges us to find happiness, to find that life of blessing in the Lord. Blessed is the one... Not who does that. Blessed is the one, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, unfortunately, as you read that, it can feel uh, quite stuffy to us, especially if you're a law student and you think, oh, fantastic, I get to meditate on legal textbooks uh, and that is meant to be a great delight to me, is it? Uh, but that's not how an Old Testament reader would have understood uh, that verse. The law of the Lord meant the Torah, everything that God had revealed to his people about who he was and how he'd rescued them and made them his own. And so to know the Torah was to know God himself. And so they were to delight in that, uh, to delight in reading uh, the Old Testament, how God had rescued them, who God was, and they were to meditate on it. Now, that's not... uh, like Buddhist meditation that we might think, where you kind of empty your mind and uh, think about uh, nothing. In fact, it's the opposite. Uh, it's, it's this idea of filling your mind with the Word of God, delighting in it, thinking about it, turning it over and over in your head. It has the sense of murmuring something to yourself uh, so that you remember it. Uh, like if after church someone tells you, uh, how to get from here to Broadway because you're getting half-price ice creams after church and you've never been to Broadway and they say, look, it's, it's, it's down the steps, uh, down there, you turn right at the library, out to the road and then left and go down you'll see the shops and you're like, oh, I don't know where to write this down. Okay, so it's down the steps and then it's right at the library and it's out to the road and then it's down the street and then, then it's there and it's, it's down the steps, right at the library. And you, you say it over and over because you want to embed it in yourself. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night, turns it over and over. 
So here's a direct application straight away. As soon as we get into Psalms, it's right here. Uh, memorize some Bible. Memorize God's Word. I think we fall into a trap of thinking that we have God's Word close to us because we have it on our phones and it's like here in my pocket all the time. Uh, but that's not nearly close enough for you. It's not nearly close enough. Because life doesn't work like that. Life doesn't provide you the opportunities. When temptation comes with your boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, you really don't have time to say, oh, wait, uh, let me just do a quick Bible search on my phone and uh, I'll see if I can get some encouragement from that. No, you need it in your heart. You need to know Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him. You need to have it within you. Uh, We uh, managed to get our kids to memorise Psalm 23. Uh, At the time, my wife, Liana, said, "Uh, we can't always be with our kids, but if we can help them to memorise Psalm 23... The Lord is my shepherd. That will be such a gift to them for the rest of their lives. It will be within them. Memorising scripture is such a gift, delighting in God through his word. Someone says that's the way to find happiness, to delight in that. That's the choice that Psalm 1 puts forward. Now that's the choice, now the consequences Someone wants to take us through uh, the consequences of which way we take, and it does it with two contrasting pictures. Uh, Read verse 3 with me. That person, uh, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, that person is like a tree. They're like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. See, they're a tree. It doesn't say that they're the biggest tree or uh, the, the best tree there is, but what does it say about it? It says that it's secure. It's a secure tree. It has a stream running past. So even if it goes without rain for a while, it's secure. It's going to be healthy and strong. It's fruitful as Uh, The tree is secure, it's able to bring forth blessing for those around it. And the righteous person is like that. They delight in the Lord. They have a security and a stream of health. And so they bear fruit in patience through trials. And they bear the fruit of forgiveness when they're hurt. And this tree is flourishing Uh, This is the life of blessing that the psalm is talking about, secure in God, bearing fruit, flourishing in all of life. Whatever they do prospers. And look at the contrast, verse 4. Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. They don't enjoy that security and prosperity. In fact, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Uh, If you're not a farmer, uh, chaff is the inedible part of the wheat. So it's the husk and the stalk. And in the ancient world, you separated uh, that basically rubbish uh, from the actual grains by having 
an ox kind of trample over it and it, they kind of crushed the grain out of the, the rest of the bits, the, the chaff. And then what you do, you'd come along and you'd get a, a fork and you'd toss the whole lot up into the air and the heavy grains would fall to the ground where you could collect them and if the wind was strong enough, it would pick up the chaff and blow it away. And where it went, you didn't care because it was just junk. And someone says, the wicked are like that, insecure, unproductive. They are blown away. Now, the problem is, uh, what, about, what about the reality? That is, it's mostly true that people who uh, delight in the Lord uh, prosper and thrive. It's mostly true that living a life of uh, Wickedness and immorality will lead to uh, instability in your relationships. It will be damaging to you, but not always. Not always. God's people don't always prosper. And wicked people do get ahead in life. And sometimes they seem very secure and flourishing in their apartments overlooking the river. In fact, uh, later on, Psalm 37 if you were to flick forward, Psalm 37 says the wicked are sometimes like the cedars of Lebanon. 37 verse 35, I think from memory. So within the Psalms, the wicked are like the cedars of Lebanon, standing tall. They're hardly like chaff that the wind blows away. So how does that work? Well, someone has two things to say about that. Uh, Firstly, it says, consider the end. Consider the end, verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. See, God has in mind final consequences here. Final consequences in mind, not just present consequences. To choose a life of sinful independence from God uh, may involve a successful life now but the wicked won't stand in the final judgment when God calls people to account for the life that he has given them and how they have treated him and how they have treated others. And the wicked will be called to account. Those people have, have no part with God since they've had no part with him now. They will have no part with him in the final judgment. The second thing someone has to say is that things might not always go smoothly for the righteous, but they are never like chaff. They're never like chaff. They're never blown away because they always have the Lord. Have a look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Lord knows them. Their situation isn't hidden from God. God God knows what's going on and he watches over their way. And so they're they're not blown away when uh, trials come. Not in this life since they have God as their delight. They have his word which they meditate on and that doesn't go away. Uh, They're secure now and secure in the end, in the final judgment. Since God is the one who watches over them and cares for them then as well. 
So Psalm 1 presents us with this choice. Which way will you take? Will you choose uh, the way of Yahweh, of knowing him, of living for him? Will you choose that life of blessing? Or will you uh, choose to follow uh, the wicked in their rebellion against him? Uh, Which way will you take? Well, I want to encourage you uh, to choose uh, the way of Yahweh because it's good and it works uh, and we have already seen it work. We've already seen it in action. Because uh, if we stop and think about uh, this psalm and not, don't just read it as a psalm that we might sing, uh, but to stop and read it as a psalm that Jesus might sing. Doesn't this psalm describe the life of Jesus? Who better rejects the way of the wicked. As you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus refused to take Satan's shortcuts and he rejects the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. He won't stand in their way, won't sit with them. Who better delights in the law of the Lord than Jesus? As a boy, when he's separated from his parents, Uh, They find him in the temple because he has to be in his father's house. And he's talking with the rabbis about the Torah. And who is more secure? Who is more fruitful? Who gives more blessing than Jesus? And Jesus, when he faces his lowest point, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will but yours. Mits himself uh, to his father because he knows that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He knows that the Lord will watch over him. Before uh, this is our psalm, it's his psalm. Jesus is the true Israelite. Uh, he would have sung uh, this song. And so as... Uh, those who come after Jesus, we sing this psalm through him. Uh, The way of blessing is now through Jesus, the one who perfectly lived this life of blessing. And in fact, uh, that's the focus of Psalm 2. The second part of this introduction uh, to the Psalms is about God's king. And it asks the question, will you submit to God's king as the path to blessing? Will you submit to God's king? That would be a great thing to go home tonight and uh, read for yourself. Uh, Read part two of this introduction. Uh, Or even better, grab someone after church, out in the foyer as we have supper together. Uh, Grab someone, sit down, read Psalm 2, see what you can learn from that about uh, the life of blessing by following God's king. The book of Psalms opens with a choice and its consequences. Uh, Psalms offers this life of blessing to anyone uh, who would go on. Uh, The introduction invites you to go on reading the rest of Psalms and to find in those pages what it means uh, to delight in the law of the Lord, to know him and to be known by him. Uh, So will you do that? Uh, Will you... uh, Meditate on the Word of God this semester with us. I do it here at church as we work our way through the Psalms. Uh, will you do that? Uh, it's a good idea 
uh, while we go through this uh, series on Psalms, you can read through uh, the Psalms a day at a time. I worked it out. If you read through uh, a Psalm a day uh, from now, you'd get through almost all the Psalms by the end of mid-year conference. So that's kind of like the mid-year marker. I think you'd get to Psalm 147. You could just bust out some extras uh, on NYC. Why not? But will you do that? Will you make this semester, this year, a year of uh, growing in your knowledge of the Lord? Choosing the way of the righteous under King Jesus. I've tried this whole minimalism thing on my clothes and uh, you know what I found out uh, just from this summer? Uh, The minimalists were half right. Life is easier with less stuff. It's fantastic. You do need to give it a try. It's great. I go to my wardrobe and the stuff kind of takes up that much. There's hardly any space taken up. And I go there and most days there's only one outfit that is both clean and uh, suits the weather. And so I, I pick that out and I put it on and that's what I wear. And it's easy and it does free you. Uh, the minimalists are right. You won't find happiness in more stuff. And it is liberating to have less stuff. Less stuff to worry about. But they're not fully right because once you've emptied out your life, you still have to fill it with something. Once you've emptied out your life, you still need to fill it with something. You're still faced with that choice. Which path will I take? What is the thing that I will pursue for a life of happiness? To find blessing. Psalm 1 says, fill it with the Lord. Make your life about pursuing him. Delighting in his law. Meditating on what he's told us about who he is. About King Jesus. Will you do that uh, this semester. There's lots of ways you can do that uh, through Union Church. Maybe this is the year uh, that you get stuck into the Christian Union on campus. Uh, maybe this is the year that you sign up for a hub group and make it uh, the unmissable event of your week uh, for you uh, to meditate on the law of the Lord, but also for others to help your friends here at Union Church do the same thing. Once you've emptied your life, you've got to fill it with something. Fill it with the Lord.